Welcome to the revolution. Hello, and welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams, and what I got for you today is going to be a little bit of a mix of uh, Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, uh, apparently winning time person of the year, which I think is interesting. Uh, then we're also going to discuss how he allegedly has ties to one of the top Balenciaga designers coming on the backs of the controversy surrounding children and the pictures that, you know, we touched on that for a little bit last time. So we will talk about that correlation here. Then we are going to jump into how a judge dismissed the lawsuit over Jamal Khashoggi's murder after specifically the Biden administration backed his immunity uh, for the Saudi crown prince. Uh, then we will go into all things Twitter gate. Now, if you have not heard, and you may not have at this point, uh, Twitter gate is the release of files from Elon Musk outlining kind of what happened during the election cycle with Hunter Biden's laptop. If you recall, there was tons of censorship, tons of warnings, a whole bunch of shenanigans going on during the elections uh, between Donald Trump and President Biden. Uh, so we will jump into all of that, see what they had to say, see what the implications of that are. Uh, we will also talk a bit about uh, what Elon Musk has talked about recently. Uh, he's currently being investigated over some stuff uh, as a result of this Twitter gate, some people believe, as a kind of pushback from the federal government for doing so. And he also said that he wanted to rightfully punch Kanye West in the mouth, <laughs> which we will talk about also. And, and I don't disagree with him because he's just been okay we'll 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 talk about that first all right but <laughs> but before i forget go ahead and hit that subscribe button leave a five star review it would mean the world to me it takes two seconds out of your day and it really does help out so please um write something that you love about the show write your favorite episode whatever that is i would truly truly appreciate it it takes again two seconds hit that five star review and it would make me feel good yeah that's what it would do. It would do a lot of other things too, like help us in the ratings and, and all of that stuff, get us pushed out to more people, get this message in front of others. But I digress. Thank you for listening and let's jump into it. Welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams. Red Pill Revolution started out with me realizing everything that I knew. Everything that I believed, everything I interpret about my life is through the lens of the information I was spoon-fed as a child. Religion, politics, history, conspiracies, Hollywood, medicine, money, food, all of it. Everything we know was tactfully written to influence your decisions and your view on reality by those in power. Now, I'm on a mission. A mission to retrain and re-educate myself to find the true reality of what is behind that curtain. And I'm taking your ass with me. Welcome to the revolution. 
All right, let's jump into it. And I did say that we would talk about this first, so <laughs> I will do it and I should probably get it out of the way. Uh, if you recall, I have put out some videos. I have talked in depth about what was going on with Kanye West. So let's address this situation. Kanye West has since gone off the rails. I have not listened to the full Alex Jones interview, but there was about 15 minutes of highlights that I will save you from. Uh, but I will go listen to the full thing to see and get my real thoughts on this. But from the clips that I listened to and the context, which, again, I don't have the full context of the things that he said, but it sounds a lot like what people were accusing Kanye West of is true. Now, originally, originally what Kanye West did was, if you were not up to date on this situation, Kanye West was calling out industry elites. He was calling out specifically the owners of entertainment companies that own all of the athletes' contracts, all of the musicians' contracts, all of the uh, famous people that you know, models, all of them. And, and he was calling them out for giving unfair business practices and doing shady business deals, okay? Now, he was also calling them out for making him look crazy and, and all of this stuff too. Now, if you have any background on this, you know that there's definitely some truth to these things, right? You understand that there are elite individuals, and, and some people hate the word elite, but it's the word that we got. Sorry, guys. Elite individuals, billionaires, trillionaires around the world who are owners of these large companies and and they peddle influence socially and make people look terrible. They, you know, potentially Epstein people, all of that type of crazy stuff. So Kanye West came out and, and made a, a big, huge podcast interview rounds with all of the larger podcasts that are out there. And he just stopped with InfoWars with Alex Jones. Now, I, I don't know why he thought InfoWars was the place to do this, but he went wild on InfoWars. He literally word for word said that he loves Hitler. And you saw Alex Jones try to like backpedal him and say like, well, well you don't love Hitler. You love the, because I guess they were talking about, you know, the, uh, if you didn't know that the Nazi uniforms were created by Hugo Boss. Interesting, right? Uh, so they were talking about that, and Alex Jones go, "Well, you didn't love that. You love their fashion, right? You don't love Adolf Hitler. You love, you know, what what their, their fashion was." And he goes, "No, there's a lot of things about Nazis that I like." <laughs> he, he, I think, even at one point, he said, "I love Nazis." Like all of the wrong things that you say in his position when people were already calling you anti-Semitic for specifically pointing to the Jewish. Kazarian mafia out there that is allegedly controlling news media, controlling entertainment industries, and and calling people to at least pointing it out and trying to raise awareness surrounding what's happening here. And you know, in the same way that you talk about the Italian mafia, and you're not talking about Italian people, there's something to be said that you can speak about a group as an organization due to their ties to one another and have it not be specifically in a negative connotation about whatever it is that ties them, them together, right? You can have an organization like the Italian mafia and say, I hate the Italian mafia. I don't like what they stand for. They kill people. They're terrible people. The Italian mafia is just a horrible, horrible organization. And then people come in and start going, oh, you're racist against Italians. It's like, no, I'm talking about the ones who kill people. And they just so happen to have these 
ties personally to each other that is the result of lineage. And in this case, it's lineage slash religion, as Judaism is, uh, so in, in Jewish individuals. So, so that's kind of the differentiation that I find myself in when we're talking about these things. There are absolutely an overwhelming majority of people who own entertainment industries and, and are a part of that elitist class who, who just so happen to be Jewish. Now, that's nothing against the Jewish race or Jewish class or religion or uh, lineage, nothing at all against that. There just so happens to be that tie. And when you call on that tie, not on the things that are actually related to that religion or lineage, right? That, that should not be an issue, right? So if you talk about the Italian mafia, the Italian mafia is bad. You talk about Jewish uh, the, the, the Jewish Kazarian mafia, whatever the, some people coin the term, right? All of the people who have, you know, passed down the, the, uh, conspiracy bloodline type things, the George Soros's, the Rockefellers, the, you know, go, the list goes on and on, but they all have some sort of ties and the, the portion of them just so happen to be Jewish. And that was what it seemed to be that what Kanye West was alluding to originally. Now he went, off the rails and just started spewing what is actually anti-Semitism. To say that you support Nazism, to say that you like Adolf Hitler in, in, any, in any way, shape, or form, and like I said in the original one, there's nothing you can do to defend that, right? There's absolutely nothing, right? Now, you can, I, I, I feel like in the same way that you can call it the Italian Mafia, not because they're Italian, but because they're a mafia. <laughs> it's like where it really comes into play. But that's my two cents. Now we'll jump into that more when we talk about Elon Musk wanting to punch Kanye in the face. But I did just want to get that out of the way. I don't support Kanye West in this sense. I don't agree with him on that at all. I think what he said was obviously horrible and terrible and shouldn't be repeated. And in a world where we're only, what, one and a half generations removed from World War II, barely one generation removed from World War II, this is not what we want to spread, right? Now, we should absolutely call out people who are disproportionately negatively affecting culture and society and, you know, social engineering in the, in the worst ways, which is obviously a very real thing in these elitist individual trillion billionaires. But once you start calling an entire group based on their religion, ethnicity, lineage, that's obviously not a good thing. Don't do that. Right. So not on the Kanye, Kanye West train, uh, I, I jumped off. Um, but I do still agree with some of the things that he was calling out as far as the, uh, you know, entertainment industry preying on, you know, and, and then specifically, you know, was what he was saying was black individuals and, and people who are minorities and putting them into terrible contractual relationships, controlling the media, calling people crazy and making it real because they own every outlet that you could do it on, right? Anyways, I digress. Let's move on to the next topic here, which is going to be that the president of Ukraine, President Zelensky, was named Time's Person of the Year. You heard that right. President Zelensky was named person's time, person's time of the year, time's person of the year. And this is just, I mean, I don't even know what to say. So this article comes from Forbes. <laughs> There's probably a couple other people who maybe deserve it. Now, obviously he's dealing with a tremendous amount of pressure, a tremendous amount of stress. And 
in the public eye has handled it fairly well. Now there's been tons of propaganda surrounding Zelensky and the things that he said, like, I don't need a ride. I need ammo. It's like, you know, that maybe that didn't happen is according to some sources, but let's read on this right here. Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky was named Times Person of the Year for 2022 on Wednesday in recognition of his time as Ukrainian's leader during Russia's invasion, as Ukrainian forces dealt their deepest attack on Russian soil this week. It talks about the key facts are the magazine emphasizes Zelensky's decision to stay in Kiev at the start of Russia's invasion in February, noting how the former comedian became an immediate rallying cry for his country. At least they call him what he is, <laughs> a comedian. Uh, Zelensky has held nightly speeches through social media and has continued to speak with the media, including his involvement during a recent New York Times summit. Aaron Judge, who broke the single-season American League record for home runs while winning the league's MVP award for the New York Yankees, was named Athlete of the Year and timed named Black Pink the Entertainer of the Year. Not even sure who that person is. Hmm. All right, here's a quote that they call out here, which is that already the next generation of Ukrainians, like Zelensky's own son, were learning about the tools of war instead of planning for prosperity. The magazine wrote about Zelensky's wartime leadership. That is the pattern the president aims to disrupt, and his plans rely more than uh, relies more on weapons. Relies on more than weapons. Sorry. All right. Now uh, this says key background. Talking about Adolf Hitler, uh, the time person of the year categorically has historically been associated with people who have been most influential during this year, ranging from previous title holders like Greta Thornburg and Pope Francis to Vladimir Putin and Adolf Hitler. Thank you, Forbes, for calling it as it is. Just because you get times person of the year does not mean that you are an incredible individual. As a reminder, Adolf Hitler and Vladimir Putin himself have both been called persons Times Person of the Year. So both Putin and Hitler have been Times Person of the Year. So take this with a grain of salt. Is he Times Person of the Year? Again, he's dealt with tremendous amounts of stress. And, and in the public eye, he's dealt with it well. There is such a reminder that should be made as he's an actor comedian to begin with who loves to dance in leather pants. But <clears throat> again, I can't, I can't imagine the amount of stress on these people. So, you know, take my commentary for what it is, but I just find it comical that a literal comedian and actor turned president, turned puppet for NATO is Times Person of the Year. Like, I really am not immediately coming up with answers as to who this should have been. <laughs> um, but maybe maybe Elon Musk, if he's never been it, I, I would say he's probably had a tremendous impact, um, maybe even more so than Zelensky being a puppet for NATO and, uh, you know, coming up with comedic gold dancing videos in leather pants. <clears throat> Anyways, all right, so the next thing is going to be that we're going to discuss here is going to be that Zelensky tapped top Balenciaga designer to oversee charity for Ukrainian refugees. So the same guy who got called Times Person of the Year was calling on a top Balenciaga designer to oversee the charity for Ukrainian refugees. You know, the Balenciaga that was actively engaging in, in endorsing pedophilia was the one that the president of Ukraine called on to head charities for Ukrainian refugees. You literally cannot make that up. That is a crazy correlation, 
causation, who knows, but correlation nonetheless, that Zelensky is working with a top Balenciaga designer, especially when we're talking about the recent news and all of the things that just came out about Balenciaga with their satanic, pedophilia-based ad campaigns all over, right? And we're finding it that I'm one thing I'm really happy about with the Balenciaga thing, and I guess happy isn't the right word, but it, but it, it's relieving to know that these things are still in the public conversation. They're still being uh, pushed towards good, right? Because the more people that wake up to this stuff, the more that it becomes a conspiracy theorist that, that these things are going on, uh, or a conspiracy theory that these things are going on, the more that it gets a negative light shed on it. But what the negative light should be shed on is Balenciaga, not the people calling them out for doing, for endorsing pedophilia. The, the, the light should be shed on Zelensky for paying a top Balenciaga designer to oversee a charity, which is very likely for children refugees in Ukraine. Probably not the person that you would want to do that with. Uh, so let's read this real quick and see what it has to say. It says, Ukrainian President Zelensky over the summer had recruited top fashion brand Balenciaga's creative director to oversee a charity supporting Ukrainian refugees. United 24, which bills itself as a charity aimed at rebuilding Ukraine and helping refugees, claimed in July that Balenciaga's artistic director, Denma, who only goes by his first name, would become the organization's ambassador. Demna, artistic director for Balenciaga, is selected as ambassador for United 24. He will be exclusively dedicated to rebuild Ukraine direction for helping refugees, the charity tweeted, which included a link to its website. Now, if I call, if I recall correctly, Demna was in a big piece of this all, a big piece of it. Now, it goes on to say that the humanitarian rebuild Ukrainian direction focuses exclusively on the renovation of critical infrastructure facilities such as roads, bridges, hospitals, and schools to enable refugees to come back to their homes and restart their lives. This came before Balenciaga was recently embroiled in a scandal over its disturbing ad campaigns overseen by Denma, specifically featuring children holding teddy bears and BDSM outfits in a hidden Supreme Court document overturning a child pornography law. <clears throat> so Zelensky literally hired the person who was the head of directing the Balenciaga campaigns or surrounding pedophilia to run a refugee program out of Ukraine. There's no way that that's not in some way, shape or form tied. The fact that that comes up and immediately this becomes a conversation, there's no way these things don't have at least a, a thin string of yarn connecting them. So, it says Balenciaga has since scrubbed its social media presence before issuing numerous apologies. After weeks of silence, Demos last uh, week issued an apology for incorporating a child in BDSM in a cult-themed Balenciaga ad campaign that erupted into a full-fledged scandal that culminated with former fans burning Balenciaga merchandise in protests of its pedophilic themes. This was his response. I want to personally apologize for the wrong artistic choice of concept for the gifting campaign with the kids, and I take my responsibility. It was inappropriate to have kids promote objects that had nothing to do with them, the 41-year-old wrote on Instagram. I apologize to anyone offended by the visuals in Balenciaga, has guaranteed that adequate measures will be taken not only to avoid similar mistakes in the future, geez, I hope so, but also to take accountability in protecting child welfare in every way we can, including likely a Conducting Ukrainian refugees, allegedly. Speaking of occultism, in some bizarre new iteration of asymmetric warfare, Ukrainian's Ministry of Defense announced Monday it had recruited actual witches to cast hexes and curses on Russian soldiers. What? What? <laughs> okay. Let's 
read that one. That's interesting. It says, notably, uh, Ukraine has also been leveraging the openly neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, who's been captured on video conducting pagan blood and soil rituals. What's with Ukraine's ties to the occult? The creation of the charity is curious, given uh, Ukraine's already received tens of billions of dollars from U.S. taxpayers to prop up its war against Russia and launder money back to Democratic campaigns. Where did all that money go? Wow. Uh, and here's the Instagram post that's posted by the Defense of Ukraine, which is Defense U at, on Twitter. It says, render unto God that which belongs to God and unto the enemy that which is of the enemy. Beware enemy. You'll get what the witch wants. Volunteers dressed as witches sending love to our soldiers and the opposite of our enemy. The opposite to our enemy. Wow. What a interesting choice to post on your website. Okay, so <laughs> that's pretty wild. Now there is like all of the occultism that's going on, all of the 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 subtweeting of satanic rituals, and and all of the elitist propaganda that's coming out, trying to portray people who call this out conspiracy theorists, and all of this stuff. It's so unbelievable because of how many times it's been rubbed in our face, and how many times it's been proven correct. Right? You look at Epstein, you look at Balenciaga, you look at uh, all of these situations, all of the, the, the Harvey Weinsteins, the, the Bill Clinton uh, logs to the White House with Epstein there, all of the ties, all of them. And, and it's literally just shoved in your face. And if you deny that there's a, a theme amongst ultra billionaire, rich, elite social groups and satanic rituals and pedophilia at this point, you are just so naive it's unbelievable and you should likely do a lot of research into it because this is something that <clears throat> while it's easier not to pay attention to it's easier to not have to formulate an opinion and talk about consistently it's not helpful to ignore because what if that was your child right what what if that was your child even just talk about the balenciaga campaign even if that was just your child in that photograph your child now for the rest of their life, the rest of their life is now going to at least personally identify with that being that person that was in that or other people are going to notice who they are, right? And I hope those parents of the children in the Balenciaga campaigns sue the absolute hell out of Balenciaga and get as much money as possible for positioning their children in the way that they're taken advantage of for these sexualized satanic ad campaigns. So who would have thought that Zelensky would have hired the same person that was in charge of the Balenciaga ad campaigns to run a refugee charity, which involved children? That just seems like the literal worst idea in the world. And, and again, it just talks about the strings that are tied between everything that is going on and these very high up societal, political things that are going on. And it should terrify you. So the next thing. Now, this what we're about to discuss is about uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Now, if you do not know about the situation, it is an atrocity. The man was a journalist. Um, Jamal Khashoggi was a journalist from, uh, I believe, Saudi Arabia. Let me go ahead and read it through it here. Um, but, I, but I watched this whole documentary on what happened here and what actually occurred. And 
the reality of it is is again just just horrifying. So let's let's actually listen to this. Let's there's a, a little trailer from the actual movie that I have up here that should explain some of this for you here. So here we go. My name is Hatije Jengis. I am addressing you as a victim. A title forced on me after the brutal murder of my Jamal. Jamal Khashoggi, prominent Saudi journalist and Washington Post columnist, has gone missing after visiting his country's consulate in Istanbul. He was last seen entering Saudi Arabia's consulate seeking paperwork to marry his fiancée. His fiancée saw him go in at 1 p.m. and was still waiting for him at 1 a.m. Saudi Arabia now suddenly is admitting that Hashogji did die inside that building. Jamal Khashoggi, alalade bir şekilde öldürülmemiştir. Saying that he was killed. The government treated me as if I shot the king. We knew that they would try to sweep the whole thing under the rug. Is it true that Turkish intelligence obtained audio recordings of Khashoggi's murder? I know why Jamal was killed. It's because of me. And here, just so I can read it to you, it says, someone may have easily watched everything that went on. So they're talking about there being cameras inside of the building in which he was, the consulate in which he was murdered. Even given orders. We saved some particularly damning piece of the puzzle, like Saudi body double. Jamal felt the whole country was against him, but this is not the truth. I said the best solution is create our own army. Any knowledge of Else, you cannot kill. You can kill everyone. All right. So there's the trailer coming from that movie. I highly recommend you should see it. It's called The Dissident. And I believe I watched it on one of the main streaming platforms. So it's called The Dissident. And you should absolutely watch it. it. It gives you some really crazy insight to the situation. He was basically went into this consulate and he, he was a high, um, called out the government a lot, fairly consistently for what was going on. I believe I even did a bit of a podcast episode on it. Uh, so I would definitely recommend going back and seeing when that it was. But The Dissident was a tremendous documentary that outlined this very well. And he went into the consulate and was basically, from the evidence that they gathered in this documentary, was beheaded and murdered in front of some type of like webcam where the crown prince was allegedly giving orders on what to do and how to kill him. And so this is just to preempt what happened here because what ended up happening this week, yesterday, I believe, 
yeah, yesterday, was that the Biden administration backed immunity for Mohammed bin Salman, who's the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. So the president of the United States called on this man, the crown prince of Mohammed bin Salman, to gain immunity for doing this. And it came true. A judge dismissed a suit against Muhammad in connection to Jamal Khashoggi's death. The suit was filed by Khashoggi's fiance, who accused MBS of ordering his death to silence him. Khashoggi was murdered after entering the Saudi consulate in Istanbul in October of 2018. The U.S. federal judge on Tuesday dismissed a lawsuit against uh, Saudi Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman over the brutal murder of Washington Post journalist and Saudi dissident Jamal Khashoggi. The decision came just weeks after the Biden administration contended with the Saudi ruler, often referred to as MBS, should be granted immunity. Judge John Bates, in an opinion, said that despite the court's uneasiness and the credible allegations of his involvement in Khashoggi's killing, the U.S. has informed the court that he is immune. So MBS is therefore entitled to head of state immunity. Wow. So you can literally get immunity from murdering somebody on outside consulate territory for being a part of a political party in a different country. Ever heard of crimes against humanity? I mean, this is just horrible. Like what kind of precedence does this set for? And this was a New York, uh, what was it? A New York, um, what was, where was his affiliation? I just said it. Uh, New York Times or, or uh, New York Post, the New York Post journalist. So a, a very well-known Washington Post journalist, um, sorry, and he was murdered horrifically in a consulate and we're just going to do nothing and even throw out the case based on the Biden administration saying that he should not be charged with this. Khashoggi disappeared after visiting the Saudi consulate in Istanbul in 2018 to obtain documents related to his upcoming marriage. It was later revealed that a group of Saudi agents ambushed him inside the consulate, strangling him before dismembering and disposing of his body. The following month, the CIA concluded that MBS ordered Khashoggi's killing. So the CIA literally came out and said that he did this. And then the Biden administration came out and said, nah, we don't care. He's immune. You can literally behead and murder people in any consulate you want as long as you have enough money in the bank or enough power. It says that a declassified intelligence report released by the Biden administration last year explicitly implicated MBS in Khashoggi's killing. We assess that Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman approved an operation in Istanbul, Turkey, to capture or kill Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi. MBS has denied that he ordered the, uh, Khashoggi's killing. The lawsuit was filed two years after Khashoggi's death by his fiance, Hatice Senjes, and accused MBS of ordering the Saudi journalist's death in order to silence him. So imagine being her. You literally have a husband who speaks up and speaks out against these horrific acts by the Saudi princes, by, by the Saudi government. He goes into a consulate and is literally murdered, beheaded, horrifically, strangled to death. And then the CIA comes out and says that he, the MBS, the crown or the Saudi crown prince was at fault for this. The CIA said that. And then Biden grants him immunity. Imagine being that woman and imagine feeling like the whole world is against you. Because what stops them from just murdering her now? Why would they not do that? If they're immune from everything that can go on and every uh, outcome that, that can be, why would you not just, you know, murder all of your, your political opponents? 
What kind, what type of precedent does this set? Because that that's that's a terrifying thought. Let's see if there's anything else in here. Um, she tweeted, "We thought maybe there would be a light to justice from the USA." Jamal died again today, she said. Wow. So uh, President Biden has faced widespread backlash over his approach to U.S.-Saudi relations. On the campaign trail, Biden pledged to make the oil-rich kingdom a pariah over Khashoggi's murder. When he came into office, Biden vowed to recalibrate the relationship between Washington and Riyadh, including by ending U.S. support for the Saudi-led coalition in the de devastating Yemen war. MBS is considered the architect of the war, which has for fostered what's been described as the world's worst humanitarian crisis. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. It literally got away with murder in this case, and it was because of Biden's immunity. So now there's what we got on that front. Now we're going to move into the Twitter files. But before I do that, what I'm going to do first is ask that you please hit that subscribe button. Takes two seconds, and then you can join us every single week for conversations like this, updates on current events, uh, things that are happening around the world, things that I want to talk about, and then also upcoming interviews that we're going to be doing, talking about uh, questioning narratives that have been given to us, societal structures, and, and all of those things that we've talked about before. So get on the subscription list. Go over to redpillrevolution.co and sign up for the Substack. Uh, join us on YouTube, on Rumble. All of the video podcasts are posted there uh, every single week. We have clips, Instagram, Truth Social, uh, everywhere else. We got banned off of TikTok recently, so I started another one. Um, so there's that. That one is RPR with Austin Adams. And uh, go find me there. All right. So Next thing, if you would like to donate uh, and help this show continue, you can help fuel the revolution by going to givesendgo.com slash redpillrevolution. Givesendgo.com slash redpillrevolution. And I would appreciate it so much. All right, put a lot of work into this and I appreciate your support more than you know. It really helps to keep me going. So, all right, let's move on. The next thing that we're going to be discussing here is going to be the Twitter files. So this has been uh, being this has been called Twittergate, and it is essentially uh, Elon Musk has come out and released the files, all of the internal documents and communications surrounding Hunter Biden's laptop. Again, if you recall, the Washington Post, speaking about the Washington Post, released information and released all of the files surrounding Hunter Biden's laptop, calling on the corruption, calling on the weird sexual escapades, drug conversations, the uh, business dealings happening in Ukraine, of all places, who would have thought, uh, and all of these other things that were going on in China and all of that. So they released that information. Twitter went ahead, and as soon as this started to spread like wildfire, Twitter shut it down. They made sure that nobody was going to be able to see these uh, these types of uh, conversations. They tried to, they literally, like, I'm pretty sure they, they suspended the Washington Post for posting it. It was all under the guise of hacked materials. Even though the laptop was legally obtained, nobody's ever been arrested, nobody hacked it at all, it was owned by the computer repair shop that Hunter Biden dropped his laptop off at. And so there was all this internal dialogue, all of these internal, you know, emails and things that were going across uh, different 
departments within Twitter. And Elon released it all, released it all. And there were some really, really interesting things that happened within these conversations, some things that we will go over and we'll go basically step by step, line by line on every single tweet um, and just kind of see if there's anything that we see. So this was a released by Matt Taibbi, which is at M-T-A-I-B-B-I on Twitter. And Matt Taibbi is one of the favorite journalists of many, many people today. He's an independent journalist who has a Substack uh, that has a lot of good up-to-date materials. It's one of the places where I like to get a lot of my news from. He's a tremendous journalist and was trusted by Elon Musk to release these in a way that was uh, and he's probably one of the most trusted known journalists today, so it was very smart of them to do that. So it starts by saying thread number one, the Twitter files. And I'm going to go ahead and sip this, what is it? Um, French toast, I forget, it's by Founders. Uh, French toast bastard by Founders. It's a vanilla cinnamon maple beer, which tastes like cinnamon toast crunch. It's delicious. So if you see it around you, it's pretty good. Try it out. And, oh, I didn't even take a sip. Here we go. Cheers to you. All right. So number one, the thread says the Twitter files, and it just goes line by line. And he goes kind of like sentence by sentence on this. So he says, what you're about to read is the first installment in a series based upon thousands of internal documents obtained by sources at Twitter. The Twitter files tell an incredible story from inside one of the world's largest and most influential social media platforms. It is a Frankenstein tale of a human-built mechanism grown out of the control of its designer. Twitter in its conception was a brilliant tool for enabling instant mass communication, making a true, real-time, global conversation possible for the first time. In an early conception, Twitter was more... Twitter more than lived up to its mission statement, giving people the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. As time progressed, however, the company was slowly forced to add these barriers. Some of the first tools for controlling speech were designed to combat the likes of spam and financial fraudsters. Slowly over time, Twitter staff and executives began to find more and more uses for these tools. Outsiders began petitioning the company to manipulate speech as well, first a little, then more often, then constantly. By 2020, requests from connected actors to delete tweets were routine. One executive would write to another, more to review from the Biden team. The reply would come back, handled. So what this is showing here is an email coming from the Biden administration calling on spe specific tweets, specific tweets for them to be taken down. And... Not handled, not we've looked into this, not we're going to check it out and see if it violates our guidelines, handled. Now, that's an important distinction in the way that we're looking at this because handled means I did your bidding, not I did what was under our guidelines. And I think that's an important call out to make here is that it's not about them following their own guidelines. Now, I think that in almost every situation, besides maybe the one where Kanye is going to get punched in the face by Elon, Elon metaphorically, for posting a swastika, which we'll talk about next. Uh, almost all free speech should be allowed in almost all settings, right? And, and even a swastika, you just show that you're a piece of shit by posting it. So maybe people should know that you're a piece of shit, not that, you know, maybe we shouldn't hide your stupidity from everyone. Maybe we should show everybody how dumb you are by allowing it to be up there. But that's a separate conversation. So um, handled is an important term. Not we're going to look into this. Not we're going to check it out. No, 
handled. We did it. We did it for you because you sent it to us. Now, it goes on to say the celebrities and unknowns alike could be removed or reviewed at the behest of a political party. Now, this email is uh, starts off by saying, I grabbed the first one under SI, defer to safety on the high profile second one. The high profile second one being real James Woods. The first one being Stefan, Stefan Luhuan. Um, but what that's saying is it wasn't just regular everyday people. It was celebrities, too goes on to say that both parties had access to these tools. For instance, in 2020, requests from both the Trump White House and the Biden campaign were received and honored. However, the system wasn't balanced. It was based on contacts. Because Twitter was and is overwhelmingly staffed by people of one political orientation, there were more channels, more ways to complain, open to the left than the right. And it shows that 99.7% of all contributions to political parties within this company went to the Democratic Party, which is no surprise with it being in Silicon Valley. And it goes on to say the resulting slant in content moderation decisions is visible through the documents that you were about to read. However, it's also the assessment of multiple current and former high-level executives. Um, now he goes on to say that the Twitter files, part one, how and why Twitter blocked the Hunter Biden laptop story. It says, on October 14th, 2020, the New York Post published, gosh, I got it mixed up again. It was the, I thought it was the Washington, it was the New York Post, not the Washington Post that did it, published Biden's secret emails, an expose based on the contents of Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop. Twitter took extraordinary steps to suppress the story, removing links and posting warnings that it may be unsafe. They then even blocked its transmission via direct message, a tool hereto reserved for extreme cases, such as child pornography. White House spokesperson Kaylee McEnany was locked out of her account for tweeting about the story, prompting a furious letter from Trump campaign staffer Mike Hahn, who see it at least pretend to care for the next 20 days. So this email is from one of the heads of the Trump campaign and says Kaylee McEnany has been locked out from her account for simply talking about the New York Post story. All she did was cite the story in firsthand reporting that has been reported by other outlets and not disputed by the Biden campaign. I need an answer immediately on when and how she will be unblocked. I also don't appreciate how anybody on this team called me regarding the news, how nobody on the team called me regarding this news that you'll be censoring news articles. Like I said, at least pretend to care for the next 20 days. This led to public policy executive Carolyn Strom to send out a polite WTF query. Several employees noted that there was tension between the comms and policy teams who had little or less control over moderation and the safety and trust teams. And the email there said, hi team, are you able to take a look closer here? Thank you. Strom's note returned the answer that the laptop story had been removed for violations of the company's hacked materials policy. And that's kind of the thing that you see even in these emails that they they knew it was bullshit. They knew the hacked materials stuff was bullshit. They didn't. They knew it wasn't going to stick. They even talked about it. And we'll look at that here in just a second. But they talked about how is this even something that we can legally stand by when and if it comes to that? Because they knew that it was BS. And so they said, oh, it's about the hacked materials policy, even though they had no reason to believe that it was hacked materials at all. And here's the next one. It says, although several sources recalling hearing about a general warning from federal law enforcement that summer about possible foreign hacks, there's no evidence that I've seen of any government involvement in the laptop story. In fact, that might have been the problem. Now, what is a what a, they're kind of Matt is discussing here is the fact that 
CEO of Meta, Mark Zuckerberg, went on Joe Rogan and said that the FBI specifically called on him to keep an eye out for Russian disinformation, specifically about the Hunter Biden laptop story, if I'm recalling correctly. And so there was a lot of backlash surrounding that, probably not nearly enough as there should be about the FBI weaponizing its political ties and corporate ties to help sway the election. But nonetheless, they did it. And so this goes on to say, although several sources recalled hearing about a general warning, right, then we just read that. The decision was made by the highest levels of the company, but without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey, but with former legal head of or former head of legal policy and trust Vijaya Gad playing a key role. Now, also, if you recall, Vijaya went on to Joe Rogan with Seth or I'm with Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey went on Joe Rogan, but brought a the head of legal of his team to discuss this all because she was the one that made these decisions, right? And everybody's kind of pointed the finger at Jack Dorsey, but a lot of people have come to Jack Dorsey's defense. Apparently, a lot of this Jack Dorsey didn't know anything about, which becomes a bigger issue when you're, you know, a large corporation controlling the flow of information and conversations surrounding the whole world, but specifically from the standpoint of one political ideology in one country, right? That seems to be a big issue here, especially when it comes to the tech world. The tech world is overwhelmed by liberal ideology and not just like your buddy who is a supporter of uh, democratic belief systems and uh, the healthcare system and abortion, not just like your, but, but far left individuals in one of the most liberal places in the world, a, an extremist ideology in many senses, just as much as there is an extremist ideology on the very far right. Right. So it's like, I wouldn't want either of those sides to control the political conversations that are happening or even the regular conversations, because they're going to want to skew it in the way that benefits their ideology. And that's not a good thing for humanity. There should always be checks and balances, right? There's literally nothing good about the two-party system. But if I had to say something good about it is that it balances each other, right? There, there, there's a checks and balances in the way that half of the country agrees with this and half of the country agrees with that. And so maybe decisions aren't made as hastily. And as once it comes to extreme ideology, you're going to have a lot of pushback from at least half of the country, right? So anyways... It goes on to say that, uh, quote, they just freelanced it is how one former employee characterized the decision. Hacking was this excuse, but within a few hours, pretty much everyone realized that that wasn't going to hold, but no one had the guts to reverse it. You can see the confusion in the following lengthy exchange, which ends up including Gad and former trust and safety chief Yoel Roth. Comms official Trent Kennedy writes, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for marking this as unsafe. So he goes into and is a little irritated by this. So let's read the whole thing. And it says, Trent and Kennedy, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for marking this unsafe. And I think the best explainability argument for this externally would be that we're waiting to understand if the story is the result of hacked materials. We'll face hard questions on this if we don't have some kind of solid reasoning for marking the link unsafe. Yeah, as you should. Right? <clears throat> so, next. One says, by this point, everyone knew that this was fucked, says one former employee. Quote. <laughs> but the response was essentially to err on the side of continuing to err. 
Um, so here it says, this is the email from UL Roth. The policy basis is hacked materials, though, as discussed, this is an emerging situation where the facts remain unclear. Given the severe risks here and lessons of 2016, we're erring on the side of including a warning in preventing this content from being amplified. Uh, Vijaya, what is the warning that will come up? Yoel, when you click the link, you'll see the generic unsafe URL message. Not ideal, but it's the one thing that we have. And then Ian said, whatever we do in the comms, this will become a biased claim for Jack pre-hearing immediately. Let's make it clear we're proactively but cautiously interpret interpreting this through the lens of our hacked materials policy and allowing the link with the warning and significant reduction of spread. Uh, then this is where the really big question comes up, and it comes from the VP of Global Comms. And he says, to Ian's point, can we truthfully claim that this is a part of the policy? As a part of our approach to addressing potentially hacked materials, we are limiting visibility of related stories on Twitter while our investigation is ongoing. Can we actually do this? Like, are we going to get into is this legal grounds that we don't want to find ourselves in? Right. And it goes on to say, to which former deputy general counsel Jim Baker again seems to advise staying the uh, non-course because caution is warranted. A fundamental problem with the tech community and content moderation. Many people in charge of speech know care little about speech and have been told or have been have to be told the basics by outsiders. And that was coming from Matt Tybee. Uh, yeah. So it goes on to talk about the Bill of Rights. Somebody calls out um, that they were worried about that. Connor tries to reroute the conversation to the First Amendment mentioned, which is generally hard to find in the files. Uh, and they were concerned about Section 230, right? Section 230 was the um, legislation that was to be passed that would make these companies liable for news that they're spreading or not spreading. Uh, so that starts to frame the conversation a little bit more from their concern. They're not actually concerned with doing something wrong. They're concerned about it coming back on them politically. So... Within a day, the head of policy, Lauren Colbertson, receives a ghastly letter from Carl Sazbo, which had already pulled 12 members of Congress, nine, and three, nine Republicans and three Democrats from the House of Judiciary Committees, and basically none of them were happy about the fact that they curtailed this story. Uh, NetChoice lets Twitter know a bloodbath awaits in upcoming Hill hearings with, Sember, uh, with members saying it's a tipping point. Complaining tech has grown so big that they can't even regulate themselves, so government may need to intervene. Yeah, you think. Uh, it says that when asked just how bad the situation is, one staffer said it's tech's access Hollywood moment and it has no Hillary to hide behind. Others were more blunt. Tech is screwed and rightfully so. Yeah, so it's like interesting to see that there was actually some conversations going on by employees saying that this isn't right, right? Um, and then they even literally said that the First Amendment isn't absolute. Like, yes, yes, it is. That's how the constitution works. Uh, and this is from Sasbo's letter containing chilling messages, relaying democratic lawmakers attitudes. They want more moderation. And as for the bill of rights, it's not absolute was said. Wow. Uh, so there are multiple instances in the files of Dorsey intervening to question suspensions and other moderation act actions for accounts across the political spectrum. So some people have called this whole thing like kind of like a nothing situation that it's not going to have any big, huge public crowd cries. But I think this, if this does nothing but 
instill trust in Elon Musk's Twitter, that's a good thing, right? If, if he's willing to open up their books and, and open source all of the conversations that were be, being had within this company, I think that's a positive thing for Twitter overall. I think that's a powerful thing for, you know, free speech overall. Um, I truly do believe that he did the right thing here. And, and, and he didn't have to do this, honestly. He like was the one that called on this to happen. So um, Matt Taibbi goes on to say, it's been a whirlwind of a 96 hours for me too. There's so much more to come, including answers to questions about issues like shadow banning, boosting, follower counts, the fate of various individual accounts, and more. These issues are not limited to the political right. And he says goodnight. Um, so there is a part two to this, which came up yesterday. And this is supplemental Twitter files. It says on Friday, the first installment of Twitter files was published here. We expect to publish more over the weekend. Many wondered why there was a delay. We can now tell you part of the reason why. On Tuesday, Twitter Deputy General Counsel and former FBI General Counsel Jim Baker was fired. Wow. Among the reasons, fighting the first batch of Twitter files without knowledge of new management. The process for producing the Twitter files involved delivery to two journalists, Barry Weiss and me, via a lawyer close to new management. However, after the initial batch, things came became complicated. Over the way, over the weekend, while we both dealt with obstacles to new searches, it was Barry Weiss who discovered that the person in charge of releasing the files was someone named Jim. When she called to ask Jim's last name, the answer came back, Jim Baker. My jaw hit the floor, says Weiss. The first batch of files both, uh, both, both reporters received was marked Spectra Baker emails. Uh, and then it goes on to say that, let's see if we can go back. Baker is a controversial figure. He has been something of a zealot of FBI controversies dating back to 2006 from the Steele dossier to the alpha server mess. He resigned in 2018 after an investigation into the leaks to the press. The news that Baker was reviewing the Twitter files surprised everyone involved, to say the least. New Twitter chief Elon Musk acted quickly to exit Baker Tuesday. Reporters assumed searches through the Twitter files material. Oh, reporters resumed searches through the Twitter file materials. A lot of it today. The next installment will appear uh, uh, through Barry Weiss. Stay tuned. Now, let's see if Barry Weiss has posted it. But it does not seem to be so. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah. And then that's the, that's the thing with this is like some people are like, oh, why are we still care? Like, right. Well, the right's obsession with Hunter Biden was an article that I saw in Vice, right. It's like the weird obsession with Hunter Biden, you know, the son of the current president of the United States who did shady business deals, peddling his father's influence to foreign countries and adversaries for profit, along with what seemed to be sexual exploitation of prostitutes, an ungodly amount of crack cocaine being consumed through a meth pipe. <laughs> uh, what else? Um, underage girls in, in foreign countries, allegedly. Uh, terrible, disgusting pictures of him naked. Uh, all of these things. Like, why wouldn't people? The fact that people still aren't talking about that is more wild than the fact that people are. And the fact that it was like completely shut down, like they achieved what they wanted to. They they uh, they exceeded all expectations on this by going ahead and making sure that nobody got to really see this. It didn't become a public conversation that changed much of anything. Everybody knows about this, but nobody's talking about it. 
I've done multiple, multiple deep dives into the Hunter Biden laptop. Uh, one episode specifically was a deep, deep dive into it. The emails, the pictures, the uh, drugs, the prostitution, his dad, all of this stuff, even the diary of Ashley, all of that stuff. I've done a whole podcast on it. So go back and listen to that. It's so wild. If you need to refresh your memory on how fucking crazy that whole thing was, go back and listen to that podcast because it, it is just mind boggling that this is not a more consistent conversation and that people aren't still freaking out about it. And I'm glad, again, I'm glad this is a consistent now bringing this back up, but it's still concerning, right? That it, that it has not changed anything. Hunter Biden's still out there walking. He, he hasn't been charged with, with peddling his father's influence. Hunter, uh, but Joe Biden, still the president of the United States, even though he was doing shady business deals with Ukrainian energy companies two years before they were invaded by Russia. Shady business deals with China. Right? You remember the China Joe? China Joe? Like, I need to work on my Donald Trump. But, uh, but you remember all that, right? But if you don't, and if you need a refresher, go back and listen to that podcast. Uh, because it is, it, it, it's truly should be a far bigger conversation than it actually has been. All right. Um, let's see if there's anything else that are here for us. Mm. Okay. Let's move on to this. Um, and this is going to be the, that Elon Musk, since this happened, since releasing these articles, and releasing all of the communications through Twitter, Elon Musk says that he is at risk of being assassinated. Assassinated as a result of everything that's been going on. So Twitter CEO Elon Musk has declared his risk of assassination is quite significant in a ranging uh, new chat. So let's see if we can maybe get some audio on this and give you guys a little bit of this, this story here. And here we come on, it's loading. Go. The risk of something bad happening to me, of even literally being shot, is quite uh, significant. I'm definitely not going to be, you know, doing any open air car parades. <laughs> any open air car parades? What is he alluding there to? Hmm. Right? Maybe the 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 JFK assassination. Right? Uh wow, that's that's a cool a good little uh sub sub conversation, sub tweet, if I may, surrounding that. <laughs> uh Elon Musk has claimed that his risk of assassination is quite significant. In the ranging uh two-hour QA audio chat on Twitter spaces, the social media platform CEO told listeners he definitely would not be doing any open-air car parades. Let me put it that way. Frankly, the risk of something bad happening to me or even or even literally being shot is quite significant. It's not that hard to kill somebody if you wanted to, so hopefully they don't. And fate smiles upon the situation with me, and it does not happen. There's definitely some risk there. The Tesla CEO and world's richest man, a self-proclaimed free speech absolutist, added that at the end of the day, we just want to have a future where we're not oppressed. Yeah, that's a good future. Um, our speech is not suppressed, and we can say that what we want to say without fear of reprisal, he re declared. As long as you're not really causing harm to somebody, then you should be able to say what you want. 
This attitude has been clear since Musk's takeover of Twitter last month. He has reinstated previously suspended accounts, including former President Donald Trump, and announced he would grant a general amnesty to everyone who has been booted off that had not been broken a law or engaged in spam. Musk also ended Twitter's policy against COVID-19 misinformation and dismantled the company's trust and safety teams amid mass layoffs. Much of Musk's conversation on Twitter spaces, which took place on Saturday night local time, was devoted to the so-called Twitter files, a selection of internal documents released by journalist Matt Taibbi on Friday. Taibbi's thread included files that showed Joe Biden's team instructing Twitter employees to remove specific Twitter political content in October 2020, just weeks before he was elected president. Wow goes on to say that if Twitter was doing one team's bidding before an election, shutting down dissenting voices on a pivotal election, that is the definition of election interference, Musk, who has been highly critical of the platform's prior management, said. Frankly, Twitter was acting like an arm of the Democratic National Committee. It was absurd. Musk had give, uh, said he had given Taibbi, as well as journalist Barry Weiss, unfettered access to old internal documents. Teasing more would be released and dubbing them the Twitter Files, Episode 2. Wow. So, that's interesting. And that's, that's something to be said about that. Like there's always this talk about like assassination and rightfully so, right? You have situations like, you know, the whole Epstein thing being an actual term used for the government wanting to, I don't know, kill you. Uh, and, and, you know, being in the space that I'm in, I've had some funny little messages before surrounding this type of thing for speaking about the things I speak about even. And I'm a, just a little guy here, not doing anything wrong, just giving my opinion on stuff. <laughs> Don't kill me. Um, but uh, it is interesting. And I like the way that he puts it, right? It, it, it is fairly easy to have somebody killed, he says. But I hope fa fate smiles upon me. <laughs> I, love, I like that quote a lot. <clears throat> I almost should make a t-shirt out of that one. Uh, so the next part of the Elon Musk files is that after... Uh, after this whole release of the Twitter files, Musk's Neuralink is under investigation over potential animal welfare violations. And this happened immediately after the Twitter files, Twitter files were released. Who would have thought? The probe comes amid staff complaints about the company's animal testing being rushed. Elon Musk's medical device company Neuralink is facing a federal probe and employee backlash amid claims of rushed animal testing causing needless suffering and deaths. Neuralink Corp is working on developing a brain implant it hopes will cure a range of neurological conditions, including paralysis and Alzheimer's. According to documents seen by Reuters and in interviews with staff, Neuralink employees have complained that pressure from CEO to speed up research has led to botched tests and unnecessary animal deaths. The recently launched federal investigation is focused on violations of the Animal Welfare Act, which governs how people or how animals are treated in research facilities. <clears throat> now, what is the likelihood that two days after Elon Musk releases all of the files showing that Twitter was literally an extension of the Democratic National Party to stifle dissenting voices. What are the odds that immediately following that, Neuralink all of the sudden has a federal probe into it, right? And you even have the uh, the White House press secretary calling, you know, people asking her if what their thoughts are on the Twitter uh, gate pro uh, Twitter gate files and everything like that, and. Uh, <clears throat> She kind of just stops the conversation, doesn't say anything, circles back to it, right, as you would expect in the whole situation. So not much to be talked about there. And then Elon Musk also said that he personally wanted to punch Kanye West after the rapper posted a swastika on Twitter. I've already talked about that. I've already touched on it, so I'm not going to do it much further. But yeah, maybe don't promote Nazism. That's not a good thing. 
Uh, and Kanye West got suspended again after doing all of that, right? After getting a good portion of society, like a, a, there was a decent sized rally cry around Kanye West calling out the uh, Jewish entertainment elites and the owners of multimedia companies and Disney and all of these, you know, large entertainment organizations and news media companies. There was a decent rally around it briefly until he went off the rails. Now, now, Again, I would like to go listen to the interview with Alex Jones. I will at some point, and I'll update you guys on it because I want the context, right? Everything can be taken out of context. I really don't see how saying you love Hitler can be taken out of context. <laughs> I, I I don't exactly see how that one can be cured. Um, so again, off the Kanye train, not, uh, not something I support. So on that note, thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you so much. And... <clears throat> Head over to redpillrevolution.co, join the Substack, uh, hit the subscribe button, leave a five-star review. If you're still here with me now, you just gave me an hour of your time, and I can't tell you how much that means to me. I love doing this for you guys. I appreciate all of the messages and um, everything and all the discussions surrounding this stuff. So um, please reach out, austin at redpillrevolution.co.com is for losers. Join the Substack, and I will see you guys next time. Thank you so much.